Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today, rinse tomorrow, and voila! Enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing. It's the secret to a hassle-free clean bathroom that many are discovering. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner has proven its effectiveness on shower glass, fixtures, tiles, and more, ensuring everything shines with minimal effort. This product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to Effortless Clean. Hey, listeners. Ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Oh, look, who decided to show up with his shorts and his biceps and his, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Looking fabulous. Yeah, I know. I know, Mr. Atkins. I know. I know. (laughs) It's Dr. (laughs) Atkins to you, sir. Dr. Atkins. (laughs) Everybody. Did that sound like someone else? I was trying to kind of sound like someone else. Just, just, just to change things up a little bit, unliterally, with me. Um, Jason Alexander's with us today. The legend Mount Rushmore of TV characters, George Costanza. I mean, I don't know what else to add after that. It just simply does not get any better. But he's a great guy. He's a good good friend of mine. He um, appeared on The Grinder with me, my beloved little show that not enough people saw that I love. If you haven't seen The Grinder, please. I think it's on Hulu somewhere. You can find it. But Jason and I fell in love on uh, on The Grinder, and he's here with me now. We're going to do a deep dive on all things theater, uh, movies, and acting. So stay tuned. I like the lighting, Rob. This is very. Uh, Does it look like I'm in a spaceship, though? It looks a little bit, yeah, or a di- or a disco, one or the other. No, no, we like it. It it it's 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 uh, it's space disco. Yeah, I like it. In in the in the in the 70s, everything was either space or a disco. When, once Star Wars or came both. out, and yeah. disco was happening. It was like space. So it's great. I'm in my wheelhouse of of references that are aged and and beyond the purview of most of the audience. Indeed. 
Indeed. I'm going to work in an Evelyn Champagne King reference. Oh, my God. Huh? Uh, I am old. Okay. Come on. (laughs) But I'm like, oh, wait. No, we like that. Don't. We love it. Oh, wait. Now. Oh, jeez. Oh, Oh, that vibe. Okay. No, no. Go back to the blue. The blue light is very um, bat mitzvah limousine. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Isn't it? That is correct, sir. You are correct. <laughs> right? You just need a little string of runner lights and you're there. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very good. The Starfield. How, are, how are, you? are you? Well, you're are you back in, in you're in the East Coast, right? Or no? Ooh, Where are you? No, no. I'm LA. You're LA all the day. Yeah. Um I think people forget, not forget, or they're just not really they don't realize, like, dude, you are the man. You you you're a, th- a true thespian. The boards are your second home. You've, I mean, you've done Sondheim, sir. Yes, I do know Stephen. I call him Stephen. By the way, Stephen Sondheim, how old is he? I think Steve just celebrated his 90th. Yeah, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I have very mixed feelings. Let me see if something very unpopular. I'm a sucker for a simple melody. Yeah, sure. And he can be a compli- he's complicated, don't you think? He is. Uh, he, you know, what's interesting about Steve is he can write anything he wants. You know, uh, the show that I did with him is actually one of his most accessible scores, uh, despite the fact that it was one of the least. Is accessible it a little shows. night music? What is it? It was merrily we roll along. Merrily we roll along. Yeah. So you know, Steve is also the guy who wrote Forum. Funny, I'm on the way the Forum, and you don't get more people you know, forget that wide open Broadway musical than that. Um, but I think what what motivates Steve is the puzzle of it all. Um, you know, the, 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 where does the story take place? Who are these characters? What are their backgrounds? They should sing the way they speak. Um, mm. And he gets, and he is so otherworldly knowledgeable about music and its possibilities that I think he just goes where that particular muse tells him to go. And he, but his ability to write to any style, and especially some of the stuff he's written that you don't realize is him, like he had, a, I think, an Oscar-winning song in Dick Tracy, Sooner or Later, You're Going to Be Mine. Jeez, that's um, right. You know, so his, his ability to do that stuff is, is off the charts. I, I agree with you. When you get into a score like Passion, mm-hmm. um, which I found... You know, I had to listen to it many times before I started to go, oh, okay, now I'm, now I'm comfortable. Here's in my it. thing is, do, you know? it, it, am I just a simpleton? Am I like a rube from Ohio who's wandered no. into the Great White Way and goes, if I can't, hum, if I'm not humming something mm-hmm. coming out of that sh- show, yeah, something's all right. Um, well, you know, you're not a simpleton. That used to be, that used to be the mandate for a Broadway score, but as... As Broadway scores became less about here's the book and here's a song and here's the book and here's a song, mm-hmm. when the score became a more integrated element of the show, right, right, right. those hummable, you know, uh, harder verse, to do. chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, yeah. verse, chorus songs just kind of disappeared. They went out of vogue. And I th- I, for me, the show that turned it, was sometimes, and you can either point to because company. Com- company had great songs. Company had hummable songs, yeah. But if you then go to Sweeney, Sweeney Todd, right. or you go, here's the one that really changed it all. And I got to tell you, first time I heard this score, I went, "Oh my god, come on!" And then it's one of my favorite scores, "Sunday in the Park." Re- yeah, well, Company for me, 
I saw a company when I was like, uh, like it must have been awful because it was a, and listen, no disrespect, they do have an amazing theater program and have for years and years, and they're a big part of me becoming an actor. But the Wright State University yeah. version of company. Yeah. Uh, I was probably, a, I don't know, I was nine or 10, yeah. but I remember it vividly, 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 vividly made a huge impression on me. And then I was lucky enough to see, um, the, 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 the gender swapped version that was in London. Oh, you've seen that. Yeah. It's, I haven't seen that yet. It is fantastic. I'll bet. And I'll tell you something, you can't imagine it any yeah. other way once you right. see it. Yeah. That director, I be, and I think her name is Marianne Phillips. She's she amazing. Is, um, she did uh, Curious Incident of the Dog. That's in right. The night, which yep. was stunning. She was the co-director of War Horse mm-hmm. on stage. I mean, this woman, I, I, I met her one evening and I said, if you need an actor just to come on and walk across flaming glass, please, I'm Same. your man. I just want to get in a room with her. her. The staging of it. It, the, the every single element of it is amazing, and the wow. cast was extraordinary. I'll and bet. the actor Rosalie Craig is spectacular. I, I I wish she was coming to Broadway with it. Well, I know in in the states it's Katrina Lenk, who's great, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But but I'm I'm looking at the upcoming Broadway schedule, and I don't see company on it. Uh as far as I know, it's coming. It's, it's coming, but I haven't yeah. seen, but like. Yeah, they're all trying, you know, the guys that I'm talking to, the producers I'm talking to, they're all trying to figure it out. Um, and you and I may have chatted about this a little bit before, but, you know, like if you're the producer of Wicked, the the operating cost of running that show, I believe they must sell eight shows a week at about 80% to just hit the running cost. Mm. And if New York truly doesn't have a tourist trade come the fall, you have to assume everyone in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area that wants to see Wicked has seen it three times. I don't know if they're coming back. So do you reopen that show knowing that you may not even be able to make your running costs or do you roll the dice and go, no, people, you know, it's a field of dreams. People will come, right? They'll come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nobody knows. And to reopen that show is several million dollar commitment. You know, you got to rehearse it again. You got to, potentially recast it you got to clean up all that mechanics and all that computatory and uh start your merchandising and marketing routines up again it's no small commitment to roll that dice what um what was the first big show you saw and that you remember in your life um I think I only remember it because my parents told me I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that drill. But I saw, uh, and I would have been four or five years old, but I saw Zero Mostel do the original production of Fiddler. Wow. I think that was my first Broadway show. Um, and my parents were avid theater goers, and we went a lot. But I know the show where I went, oh, my God, I'm, I got to do this. I got to yeah. do this. Because I had not been, I'd never thought of myself as a performer, and then, I moved uh, from one town in New Jersey to about five towns over when I was 12, knew nobody. And the first kids that picked me up were the theater kids and dragged me into a show. And they became my my little group. And we used to go into the city all the time and see Broadway stuff. And we saw an early preview of Pippin when it was oh, first opening in 72. I'm so Ver- jealous. Oh, my God. And Vereen came out with the, we got magic yeah. to do. And I lost my shit. I went, that's... I want to be him. I want to be that guy. And and then I got serious. But I had the cast album of Pippin. Oh, 
but I never saw it. Glorious. Never saw it. Unbelievable. Well, if you want to see Vereen, there was a, a pretty good production that was videotaped and is available everywhere with William Cat as Pippin. Um, yep, I get that. And curly, and ben, cute, yeah, blonde. And, and does a nice job. And Ben Vereen. And you really do get, you know, what Ben was doing up there. Um, does Pippin, do you, is Pippin d- incredibly dated now? Um, in some ways, yeah. In some ways, no. Um, the, mu- the songs are killer. The, the music was, you know, cutting edge when it came out in 72. Now, I guess it would be considered a little bit pastiche. But um, the story holds because it's basically a story that every guy our age and anywhere from, I would say, 40 up goes through, which is, isn't life supposed to be better for me? Aren't I supposed to be living in a bigger, more potent way? And that's really Pippin's story is a guy who believes he was born to extraordinary purpose and goes looking for that purpose in in art, in war, in politics, in romance, and all these different things, and finds out eventually that what he really was most contented by was a simple life on a farm with a woman and a child. And and is that a compromise? And and what I learned, it took me seeing Pippin 21 times and then going to therapy for 20 years. But, <laughs> um, but that's for me, that is correct because Same. the highest highs, while glorious, don't sustain. And then by comparison, you drop to the lowest lows. But when you burn this even line right down the middle of contentment, uh, it, it, it rarely fails you. By the way, that was also a great ad for Zoloft. It re- that was just amazing. Absolutely. Side effects may include <laughs> menstrual cramps for menstrual men. Cramps and yeah. beheadings. Yeah. Um, I saw The Wiz. Uh-huh. Original cast? The original cast with Stephanie... Yep. Mills. Mills. And Hinton Battle. And Hinton Andre Battle. the Shields. Look at this. Ted look at Ross. You. Look at you. Yeah, I'm that guy. I'm, 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 the, I'm the only straight man theater queen I know of. <laughs> I love... Well, there's two of us now. Um, she was... I think Stephanie was like 15 or something. Yeah, she played Dorothy. Easily. And... I can't imagine the the phrase, you know, bringing down the house. I, I just cannot. I don't think I've ever seen still, and I've seen a lot of great stuff since, anything other that, that will surpass her every night in, in, in that play. I can give you one. What do you got? And, well, actually, I could probably give you more than one that are equal. Yeah, give, Jennifer, me, your, give me your top Jennifer three. Jennifer Holiday and Dream Girls. Oh, yeah, right. Forget it. Was right. like forget stupid. It. No, no, Cynthia Erivo in Color Purple. Stupid. Yeah. Um, I forgot you know, about they're, they're, Dream, the Dream Girls throwdown. Yeah. That's, forget it. That's the one. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling there's you some, I'm not leaving. That's the one, isn't it? And I am telling you, I'm not going. Yeah. Not going. She's not going. And every actress, bless them, that has assumed that role afterwards has had to approximate the Jennifer Holiday footprint because it, 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 she, that song without that performance, it's a nice song, but it doesn't, it doesn't rise to, you know, killer act one curtain unless you invest it with the, the commitment, the ugliness, the passion, the, Musical pyrotechnics that Jennifer Holliday was able to do. And I remember when um, Jennifer Hudson did the movie role, she graciously said, I am just trying to do my best homage to Jennifer Holliday. Right. That woman set the standard. So, Well, do you, and you've, you've created roles and then you've come in on producers, you came in, correct? 
Uh, Marty Short and I took over the, uh, it, they were on tour and then they were going to sit down in LA and they wanted two names on the marquee. So Marty and I did it here. So, but when you come into something, I, I, I only did it once. I did it with a few good men and right. thinking about, I'm telling you, I'm not going is like, there, there are certain things where you go, fuck man. They just knew that's just the way to do it. That guy, that oh, gal, sure. they yeah. like I, when I got to you can't handle the truth, that whole thing every night, mm-hmm. it was like, I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to do my own thing. And then what you realize in rehearsal is like, no, you know what? There's a reason fucking Jack Nicholson and Tom did it that way. Yeah. Because that is the way. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's hard to get away from it. Uh, the producers was was very much that kind of show because the producers is just a joke fest. I mean, yeah. there's nothing to bite into other than can we get the laugh? Right. So you also, I mean, Mel Brooks is a very specific rhythm to his comedy. You step outside that rhythm, the joke doesn't land. So there's just, <laughs> there's not a lot of ways to say I'm right. wearing a cardboard belt without doing, yeah. you know, zero must I'm wearing a cardboard belt. You, yeah, if you don't do that, you don't get the laugh. So That's right. Yeah, Nathan did it. And, you know, what Nathan did that was so amazing is Nathan and Matthew were just fearless about going outside the show. They became, it's a party with Nathan and Matthew. So they would play around and they would do stuff that that nobody wrote, nobody directed, and the audience ate it up with a spoon. Marty and I, mostly Marty, did a little bit of that, but we were more, you know, I don't want to ruin anything here. I don't Mm want to mess anybody up. So we kind of... Stayed to the straight and narrow, but you know, to watch Nathan and Matthew do that show, especially late in their run, like what did they do? Like, ex- explain this to me. I'm fascinated with this. Like, what, like what kind of stuff would they do? Well, Nathan, at one point, Nathan, there's a great moment, and you can make of it what you will, um, where uh, Matthew's character says, "So, wh- how much money do we put into the show?" And it's supposed to, you know, co- give Max Ballastock a bit of a heart attack. And he goes, how much money do we put in? Two rules of producing. Number one, never put your money in the show. And number two, never put your (laughs) money in the show. But Nathan's heart attack, I mean, at one point. Was five minutes long. Absolutely. I mean, he went out the window of a supposed six-story building and came back in the door. I mean, just madness (laughs) and changing lines and playing with the audience and, you know, to just crack each other up. Marty would do that to me, but it was, it was very contained uh, as to where he would do it. And it was always really the same spot every night that would become the Marty short show. And I loved it and the audience loved it. But for the most part, we stuck to the play. Marty, um, who I've known a long time and we've worked together sporadically in weird areas like, you know, Jiminy Glick. I've done a lot of stuff with Jiminy and he's been on the show and I've seen him in, you know, crush at dinner parties like no one's business and talk shows and on. But have you, I can't imagine going on stage every night with Marty when he gives you that crazy. Oh yeah, that, the the look, the look, yeah, the, the look. I'm not crazy, yeah. right? He ha, he gives you the look, and oh, you it's go, the look oh. of we're gonna play now. Yes, the look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Marty. Thank God for Marty because I, I will tell you that because of the reason I I shared with you that there isn't much to bite into on the producers and you can't really vary it very much or you blow the jokes. Right. So it is, it is the only show where I, where straight repetition has been more called for than anything else I've done on stage. Uh, other stuff, as you know, 
there's enough variation and enough nuance night to night that it doesn't feel like you're just repeating the same thing eight times a week. But producers very much did. And if it wasn't for Marty and his attitude about it all, Marty, <laughs> I kind of, I dragged Marty into that production. I, I, I was offered it first and they said, who do you want as a Leo? And I said, well, the first guy I can think of is Marty Short. And Mel said he doesn't want to do it. Apparently they had offered him Leo many, many times and he had turned How'd it down. you get him to do it? I just, I, I, I called him two or three times and I could tell that, that there was something in his voice. And he was very honest with me the third time and I really appreciated it. And he said, you know, it's just, I feel like Leo's the second banana and I don't want to be a second banana. And I went, oh, for God's sakes, are you crazy? It's Leo's show. Leo is the guy who makes the transformation. Leo gets the girl. Max stays the same. I said, you have all the dance numbers. Max is, is is it billing? Take the billing. I don't care. I mean, I don't give a crap. And I think something in that conversation made him go, oh, maybe he's not the second band. You know, maybe he felt like it was more of an equal footing or even, you know, that Leo was potentially, you know, the featured role. Um, And he came on board. But he would come into my dressing room every night before the show (laughs) in his robe with that imp face and go, Jew, you (laughs) Jew, you Jewed me into this show. I hate, and we, he had a clock. He, no, no, I'm, what am I talking about? He gave me a clock on opening night, a digital clock that counted backwards uh, months, weeks, days, hours, seconds to where the final curtain on our last performance would be. That's hilarious. And he, and he would come in and go, it's not moving. <laughs> <laughs> Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day or check out a world-class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky same day or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment? There's only one answer, California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. I, look, I love California. Um, and I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started 
with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. Shopping for humans is hard. Shopping for your dog is easy. Thanks to Bark. Every month, we deliver toys and treats just for your pup. They deserve to be spoiled every month. At Bark, we send your dog a whole collection of toys and treats made just for them every single month. Whether it's our fun plush toys or our ultra-tough toys from Super Chewer, we give your dog exactly what they want. And for a limited time, we will double your first box for free. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. BarkBox is so convenient and delivers straight to your door and more importantly, right to your dog. I can't wait to try out BarkBox. My dogs need their toys, particularly the chewable toys. Sign up now at BarkBox.com slash Rob for an exclusive offer. This ad is now over. Let's get back to petting our dogs. So when when Seinfeld happens, what what's what's that ride like? First of all, people forget that it was almost canceled. It, what, what was the first season? It was six episodes, wasn't it? No, four. Oh, four. <laughs> it oh, was sure. the, con- the confidence order. How? Um, wait, how? Yeah. How? I mean, now people order four all the time in fancy streaming services, but yeah, what? A network only ordered. Why didn't they just say we don't want to do it? At that well, point? they did. I, we did the pilot. They said no. We're, we're not going to pick up the show. And the reason I, I, there may be some other reasons I'm not aware, of, but I I think the mythology that, as I understand it, is that was back in the day when networks would you know fill an empty half hour by showing their dead pilots. So right. they aired the dead pilot of Seinfeld, and the TV Guide critic wrote it a love letter. Just this extraordinary review. And Brandon Tartikoff was running NBC at the time. And he was, a, he was a Seinfeld fan. He liked Jerry a lot. And he thought, well, maybe we, maybe we misjudged this. Maybe we're not looking at it the right way. But they, hadn't, they had picked up their season. They couldn't do anything else. So a guy named Rick Ludwin, who was the head of Late Night and Variety, he really ran The Tonight Show. That was his job. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I've got... I've got some money in my summer budget for summer specials and we don't have anything. So we picked up four episodes as a summer special series. And that was ostensibly our first season. And that's why it was four. When no one was watching TV in the summers. In Absolutely. Days, literally nobody. And for the first two and a half years of Seinfeld, if you were a fan, you had to go find it. I think we did three or four different time slots on different days. And, you know, it was constantly shifting without any hoopla. Well, when did it when did it explode and how? Somewhere in the third season, I, I think. Again, you know, my memory at this point. Yeah. But so, sure, I think it was the third season where they finally put us on after Cheers, and that was that was the sink or swim spot because Cheers had the top ratings for NBC, and if so, they delivered you an audience. If you could hold the audience, you were okay. If you lost the audience, then they figured, well, nobody's interested, and you'd get canceled. And we held, and then eventually, by the time we did the contest, the masturbation contest episode, we actually topped their numbers for the first time, and that's when we were solid from that point on. But uh, until then, it would, you know, we we did not know. Every three weeks, we'd go. I don't know. I don't know if I got a job next week. So we'll it, see. the just the notion that 
a show could go three seasons yeah. before finding its destiny. You know, that just, you wonder, it makes you wonder how, and by the way, I know the answer is there aren't, there are very few, but how many Seinfelds are, were out there that don't get the three season chance to find their voice? Absolutely. And the thing that I, you know, talk to people about all the time about that process of waiting and getting, finally getting the, the nod for success I can't tell you how many times Jerry and Larry David were told by the network or told by their overlords, you got to change what you're doing. You can't, this is not working. We're not building. And they went, you can put us on, you can take us off. Don't tell us how to do the show. Love it. And they held to their vision and they held to what they believed in and it caught on. Do you remember, I would love to know what the network's notes were. Like if they could have had, <laughs> do you know what I mean? When they said, it, it's not working, because I, I promise you it was followed up with, and this is what would work. Uh, possibly. I, I do remember they showed us on the 100th episode, they gave us a framed copy of the initial testing results for the pilot. And it was things like, too hip, too urban, too Jewish. I thought, that's interesting. Where, where is that on the questionnaire? <laughs> you know? how, uh, how many Jews would you like to see in this? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's one of the know, big on questions a, they ask. A scale ask. of one to ten, two Jewy is a ten. But yeah. um, the, One of the comments was, Jerry Seinfeld, not believable as a stand-up comic. That was, oh, that was a comment. That's amazing. Um, the only one that was spot on was the supporting cast is annoying. And we went, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Like, well, that, that's, <laughs> that's well noted. Yeah. That's me. That may be true. Uh, um, you know, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus has to have the highest batting average. Unbelievable. Of anybody in television, right? You bet. You bet. It's not even close. With the exception of, and and it's arguable that even this was a limited success, but she had one short series with Day by Day and one with uh, Watching Ellie, which was the show she did right after Seinfeld. But other than those two, everything that girl has touched is gold. She's the she's the Queen Midas of television. It's unreal. Yeah. Deserved, but that doesn't make it any less unreal. Absolutely. But, you know, for something like Veep, where initially it seemed like that was all on her shoulders. Yeah, she had a great supporting cast, but it's that show sitting on her shoulders. Everything has to fall into line. The timing of that show, the writing of that show, the style, the direction, uh, her performance as Selena. Again, Julia does an extraordinary job being winning at characters that are hard to get behind. Christine, <laughs> Christine, old Christine was a bit of a, you know, in some ways, not a Karen, but she she was like this privileged yeah. white woman who didn't quite understand how she was privileged. Um, Selena Meyer is certainly, you know, a, a, oh. a not enviable character. Hilarious And yet character. you get behind her. It's It's extraordinary. There's a lot to be learned from her, I think. I just think she's got... I mean, she's, by the way, she's my neighbor in Santa Barbara and I never see her. I lived in, really? Santa, I've lived in Santa Barbara for 26 years and her husband, Brad Hall, is like a fifth generation Santa Barbaran. Yeah. Never see them. They must love, I think they have been going out of their way to avoid me. Well, they have many, many houses. They have many homes. That's many, cool. many. And so at any given time, God knows where she is, but, um, yeah, and Julia also, I think it's it's why part of why she's done so well. Julia, you know, she does what you have to do to be a star of her level, 
but she doesn't, you know, she's not out there hyping it. She's not, she lives a very private life. She, I'm sure she would say the thing that was most important to her was her family being a good mother, which she absolutely was. And, uh, and her relationship with Brad. And, you know, she's not really, she likes to work. She doesn't really care about much of the rest of it. So, I mean, that is the thing about where, where Santa Barbara, the, those of us who come up here, really, we just, that's kind of the, the drill. We raise yeah. our kids and, you know, we, we, we parachute into LA when we, when you when need we have to, to yeah. when we can. Yeah. Um, Jerry, I have recently gotten to know, I, I'd never really spent any time with him. He's got me into TM. Oh, are you doing it? Yeah, I am doing. I'm doing transcendental meditation, and I'm loving it. I have to mm-hmm. say, and um, I start my, my mantra is "Thank you, Jerry Seinfeld." That's turns out that was m- my mantra. <laughs> Oddly, I don't do TM, and it's mine too. <laughs> <laughs> Every day when you serve, sur- survey your your domain, yes, my domain, and I thank you, Jerry Seinfeld. Thank you, Jerry thank Seinfeld. You. <laughs> um, and did and did you come to the realization that that really George was was um, Larry David? Yeah, it happened, um, and I wish I could remember the episode, but we, you know, the, the early episodes of Seinfeld, before we understood what these guys were building, they were strange for us, too, because it didn't conform to the norms of what was considered television writing at the time, or even, uh, you know, they would write conflicts that would come to a critical mass at the middle of the show and then never resolve, and I go, well, aren't you going to aren't you going to finish this story? Because it's not funny after that. And I go, yeah, but you've left George and Jerry angry at each other. How did it, it doesn't matter? You know, they were, it's just things that didn't compute to me, mm-hmm. but we did a table read of some early episode. And I just thought there was a preposterous situation that George was in. And I remember going to Larry and going, Larry, can you help me with this? Because I mean, this would never happen to anybody, but if, if it did, I don't think anybody would react like this. So what are you thinking of what's, what's in your head? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. This happened to me, and it's exactly what I did. And I went, oh. And that was the moment where I went, <laughs> I think he may be writing an avatar of himself. Do you remember what it was by any I chance? don't. I don't ah. remember the episode. And it would have had to be in that second season somewhere when we did 13. So I should probably just go through the episodes and right. see if I can figure out which one it was. But um, but that's what I had been doing a sort of very loose Woody Allen in my head up until that point. And then when I realized Larry was kind of writing an alter ego, I very deliberately started to try and work some of Larry's mannerisms into the character and some of his, some of what I perceived his worldview to be and his sense of humor. And and then we never talked about it, but very shortly after that, he knew that I knew that he knew that I knew. And, and there was a great, the writing for George in the first seven years when Larry was there was off the charts good. I mean, the writing was good after he left for me, but nobody understood George like Larry. So he he's so talented. I mean, oh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, Curb Your Enthusiasm is just one of the great. It's just one of the greatest shows ever imagined. Absolutely, and look what he's getting away with. Doesn't have to write. It's fantastic. I, he's in, <laughs> he just yeah he just shows up and does his thing. Yeah. And also goes, also goes. You know, I don't feel like I want to do the show for f- the next four years. I just yeah. want to. Yeah. Now I'd like to do it again. Yeah, amazing, right? Uh, amazing. I mean, and writes a Broadway play, gets it on Broadway, winds up starring in it, and then 
I took over for Larry. I, I had a feeling I might get a call one day, <laughs> but he he got out of his contract early. What a surprise. Because he just couldn't, <laughs> he, the eight a week was killing him. And he called me when he was going to go into rehearsals for it. And he said, you're Mr. Broadway. Talk me through this. What, what's it going to be like? Am I going to like this? And I talked him through from the day one of rehearsal until like, what would he, what would he would feel like on a Thursday afternoon, five weeks after he opened? Tell me, wait, and, wait, wait, what did you tell him? I'm curious to know what, what. Well, I said, you're going to go in on day, you know, the, well, because he was also a part of the putting it together. I said, you're going to love that. Product. You're going to have casting. It's all the stuff, you know, you're going to cast that you love, right? You're going to go in a rehearsal. If you like your director, everything's going well. You're going to laugh first week. You're going to laugh. You're going to have such a good time. You can't believe it's going like this. Second week, things are really falling into place. You see the show third week of rehearsal. It all falls apart. Nothing's good. Nothing's funny. Nothing works. Why? Why does that happen? Nobody knows. Could be, could be just that you're getting used to it. And so it all starts to feel not fresh, but don't worry about it. Don't overcompensate for it. Anna Shapiro's your director. You're going to be fine. She knows this. You're going to go through that. Then you're going to get into the theater. And at first it's going to be very exciting because there's the set and there's the costume. It's all complications. And it's not about you anymore. It's about the lights and the sound and the thing and the thing. And you're going to, I forget the show. I don't remember the show. I'm only doing clothing changes. And I don't panic. Then you're going to get into dress rehearsals. First two are going to be horrible. Everything's going to go wrong. You're not going to get through it. Then you're going to get through it. Then it's going to get a little better. Then you're going to bring in a preview audience. If the preview audience comes in, you're going to be very excited. If they love it, you're going to be floating on clouds. It's unbelievable. You'll tinker by day. You're going to can't wait to get to the theater. You're going to get through your previews. Everybody that acts should have an opening night on Broadway. It's the greatest thing in the world. You can't believe it's 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 better than I'm sure the Oscars. It's just the greatest night. If the reviews are great, you're going to have the, you're going to be just walking on air, walking on air. You come in the next day, the curtain goes up, the audience goes crazy. They love it. They're giving it to you. Fantastic. You can't wait. You do the first week, you do the second week, the third week. It's like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. The fourth <laughs> week, it's like, oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I said, then somewhere in the fifth week, like around Thursday of that week, you've done your first four shows. And around 3.30 in the afternoon, you're going to sit there and realize you'd rather put an ice pick through your own eye than have to go down to that theater and do this goddamn thing again. And I said, the trick is you got to get to the theater. Once you're at the theater, your cast is there. Everybody has the energy. You feel the audience coming in. You'll get the mojo again. But the, the hard part is getting out of your house and going to the theater. And then you're going to realize in week five that you're not, you're a vampire. You're not awake during the day. You're sleeping during the day. You're awake at night. You're not seeing your friends. You wake up every day going, do I have a voice? Do I have a voice? Am I tired? Am I sleeping? Am I sick? Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, you'll, you'll be able to do it, Larry, for maybe 12 weeks and then you're going to want out. And I missed it by a couple of weeks. I think he did it for nine weeks or 10 weeks. And I got a call saying, you got to get in here. <laughs> <laughs> After this. You know the only thing I ever let interrupt my podcast? My dog. Take a minute now, please. Pet your dog while you learn about Bark, the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. Every toy is tailored to your pup's size and play style. From squeaky plush toys from BarkBox to ultra-tough, durable ones from Super Chewer. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin 
and sweet potato. Each box is inspired by a new theme and comes with fun surprises for you and your dog. For a limited time, they'll double your first box of goodies for free. I love making my dogs happy. Love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. And my dogs are obsessed with their chewable toys. BarkBox offers treats, keep my dogs healthy, and amazing new toys that keep my dogs entertained. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed, just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rob Lowe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Rob Lowe. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little, little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. Do you remember, I remember getting that place in a run. It's, I felt like it was somewhere north of 100 shows. Mm-hmm where you could start thinking about your laundry list and like things oh, you sure. need to do in your life while while you're actually giving the performance. It's Absolutely. frightening. It's frightening. Yeah. And it's not actually that uh, that you're on autopilot. I actually teach actors now and I talk a lot about getting your performance into your body. Yes. Because you can't rely on your emotional honesty all the time, but you can always rely on your physical honesty. And if you're doing something, if you're performing an action you'll find that there's an emotional connection to those actions. So your your body is your best friend. And it's true. You get to that point, and you're right, about 100 performances in where your body can do it without your brain. And and do it well. And it's do it not really well. You're, you're not phoning it in. You're just, nope. just not quite completely there. Yeah. And then the, what I also experienced happily only a couple of times is 
you can kind of come to mm-hmm. when you're in that whatever mode that is. Yeah. And going in and out of the modes, if you're not careful, can fuck you big time. That's where I used to get anxiety attacks on stage because I would I would kind of realize I was not in my body. Exactly. And I suddenly went, whoa, 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 whoa. And, the, and the, the sort of disassociation of, yes. wait a minute, I'm on a Broadway stage. I'm doing this thing. Part of me's there. Part of me's not. Blah, blah, blah. And I would, I, I would freak out a little bit. Same. So. That's exactly. That's so funny. I've never talked to anybody about this before, but that's exactly. I, yeah. on, um, yeah. But the, isn't that the fun of it? All the stuff that goes, what's the yeah. craziest thing you've ever seen, heard, or done during a run? Um, Marty and I, Often the the computer machinery of the producers would break down, and Marty and I once did, and I'm not a stand up, but we did 25 minutes for the audience of just silliness. <laughs> um, so there was that kind of stuff. Yeah. I um, not the craziest thing I ever did. It's the craziest thing I managed to avoid doing. But when I was doing the Neil Simon play, um, <laughs> when my character put his foot on the stage. It was going to be about an hour and five minutes before the intermission curtain. And I went on one night and my bowels just went, here we are. And I went, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't, I can't do an hour like this. I can't do five. I don't know if I can do five minutes like this. And, and your mind is just going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I, I, I deliberately was jumping as many lines as I could if I thought it wouldn't affect anything. And my pace was, and I just, you know, the sweat was running off me. And the worst part, and I knew it was going to be the worst part, is there was a section of about six or seven minutes where Jonathan Silverman's character and my character go to sleep on our beds. And there's a big dramatic scene downstairs with the parents. And, and you know, you can't move because you're totally visible but you you, you don't oh. want to distract and i'm going i can't how am i going to do this uh. how am i going to do this and as we got to that scene this is what went through my head you know the set is a house it's like if you took a house and you cut it down the middle from roof to floor right so there's a bathroom yes it's got muslin walls but there's a wooden that you can see through and a wooden door and there's a toilet and a sink and a bathtub in there no plumbing <laughs> and i actually thought am i there is this it? Is this it? Is this what I'm? Is this what I'm reduced to? Am I going to go into that thing oh. and just let go, oh. with God knows how much you know sound effects and what else? And honestly, I think the only reason I didn't do it because I was so desperate was I did know that anything else I ever did in my life or career, I would never get past the reputation of being the guy that took a crap in a non-working toilet on a Broadway stage. So uh, I managed to hold out. Couldn't you have just and- said? Oh, no, because, yeah, you're in the house. That's right. Would have been great if the, if the bathroom in the house, there was no bathroom in the house. You could say, right, you had to go out. outside to the outhouse. That's that would right. have been fantastic. Yes. Sure, yeah. In retrospect, I go, why didn't I just say, instead of lying down, why didn't I just say, I'm going to go take a walk? Mm. <laughs> I could have done that. Why didn't I do that? Never thought, because my brain wasn't working. That's why. <laughs> oh, but that's the best. That was hard. That was hard. And But I've seen crazy things. I've seen, um, oh, my God. Do you, remember the play Sleuth? Yeah. So as they're messing up the house in the first act, they knocked over the thing that had to get shot that explodes to establish the gun. Oh, no. And the two actors, Patrick McNee and Brian Murray, they froze. They just, um, huh. 
And the stage manager came on and said, we're so sorry, folks. We're going we're gonna to bring the curtain in, clean up a bit, and go, but go back a few pages in case the illusion wasn't totally shattered. We're going to go back <laughs> a few pages. Uh, and they reset the stage. I saw, oh, God, things and, you know, things in the magic show with Doug Henning that didn't work, you know, things went wrong. I mean, that's, that's the, the greatness of theater is when, when, when you have that human moment and you go, we shared a thing, audience and stage, that nobody else is going to share. It's a once in a lifetime. But to people who, who come into it new or who don't understand it is that the audience love, they love the screw ups. Oh, sure. They love them. Absolutely. They, then, you know, it's real. And like you said, we, they've shared something. Yeah. Yeah. There was a great moment that my uh, Larry Moss, my acting teacher, used to talk about that um, Gene Simmons, the actress, not the drummer from Kiss, but uh, <laughs> Gene Simmons, uh, was in a play on Broadway in previews. And she came through the door. Uh, she knocks on the door of the set and this other actress goes, oh, hello, someone. And... Simmons froze and then she came all the way down to the audience and went, I'm terribly sorry. The play is in terrible shape. We don't know what we're doing. It, 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 you're in for an awful time and we apologize. Honestly, we apologize. All right, let's continue. And no. then we're back to the door. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. And I see that, but that's amazing, right? That's where you go, holy crap. And it reminded me of this one other show that ran for about three days on Broadway, which is the greatest idea ever. And so bad. It was called We Interrupt This Program. It had no real, you, you knew very little about it going in. And the curtain goes up on a sort of Victorian drawing room comedy. And about eight minutes in, the doors of the theater fly open and these guys dressed in military fatigues come in with automatic rifles and, and they're holding the audience hostage. Holy and for shit. about 15 seconds, you do exactly what you did. You go, holy shit. And then they start talking and you go, oh, this is the play. We interrupt this program. I oh, get it. Oh, wow. And then the play was so bad. You know, you're, you are relying on the audience to play along with the situation. And I remember a guy got up to go to the restroom and one of the actors put a gun on his face. <laughs> went, sit down, sit down. And the guy went, get that fucking thing out of my face before I, you know, and the illusion is over. So, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's been some great nights in the theater, I have to say. It's, and, but I hope it comes back. You know, I hope it does. Well, September 14, I believe, is the opening of Phantom again. And then in quick wow. succession, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I know Six is opening. Lion King is opening. Wicked is opening. I think Chicago is reopening. Uh, Mockingbird is going to open in December, back with a lot of its original cast. Yeah, who's who's playing the the lead? Jeff. Jeff Daniels is Jeff's coming back, back so it's not and Ed Harris. Celia, no, and Celia Keenan-Bolger is going back in as Scout, so... That that's exciting. That was that was a pretty great night, I have to say. Um, so yeah, the plans are there. There's stuff, and you know, uh, you you know, because I came after you hard. Um, uh, we've got to play War of the Roses that we're currently trying to put our cast together. And I know I'm so, together, it's so. going to be so great. It's going to be great. Wow. And I know that I'm going to come on opening night and just b beat my own self over. But listen, <laughs> it, it wasn't like it was an issue. Well, I you just, didn't turn us down. You're I, too no. goddamn busy. No, I'm just you too busy. You work an actor, you. I, I literally, you're doing. I went to the producers of, of Lone Star and was like, how can we do this? And they said, let me see if we get this straight. You want to shoot an hour action network drama. Take three days off and do 
the War of the Fucking Roses on Broadway and come back and start shooting with two days off. You're a mental person. Yeah, no, that's hard. That's hard. It would have been hard. And we have the guys. We're looking for the gals. We're trying to get the ladies. So the gals are going to be. It's a great reimagining of the of the show. It's it, and it's it's great. It's going to be so much fun. Do you have the theater yet? Not, not no, really we nice. have to we have You're to get the off. cast to get the theater. Right. You know, that's that's yeah. the way this stuff works now. There there was a time, and you know, it's interesting. I was talking about it to the producers. Every now and then you get a show where the show is the star. Um something like uh the play that went wrong. You know, nobody cares who's in it. They just hear that this is a laugh riot and the and the stage falls apart and the show, you know, and the play becomes the star. There are very few of those. Even Mockingbird, if Mockingbird didn't have Jeff Daniels at its helm when it first opened, even with Aaron Sorkin behind it and Bartlett Scher, they probably would have struggled a little bit at the box office. And it's just this weird alchemy now of, of actors, title. And, and I get it because, you know, the, the New York audience doesn't know me as a director and they don't know Peter Tolan as a writer for the stage. So there's a lot of leap of faith that has to be done and they, they want to anchor it with, with something that they... And... and even if they went, oh, great, we got Jason, but I don't show up eight times a week, so the audience never sees me. So right. they want to know what the audience is showing up for means something to them. When you it's when you hard. direct this show, are you okay? It's up and running. It's opened. The reviews are in. It's going. When do you come back, and under what auspices? Back to look at it again. Yeah. You mean? Mm-hmm. Um, boy, having never done one like this, I don't know. I would imagine. You know, I, you. I think you'll understand this. There's real value for the director to get out of Dodge. 100%. Because the thing has to grow and change. You rely on your stage manager to go, look, here's the blueprint. We know what the intention of the show is, and it's different moments. As long as it's serving its intention, let them discover stuff. Let them find things, you know, through the repetition of it that we never thought of. And yet... But but I do remember, you know, there's a great theater story of uh, uh, George S. Kaufman coming back to see one of his shows on, on Broadway and leaving a note uh, on the sign-in board that said, uh, rehearsal at two o'clock tomorrow to take out all the improvements. Exactly. Uh, you know? yes. um, I would imagine it's a thing that you visit every 10 to 12 weeks and just, you know, go, hey, even if it's just to go, fantastic, you guys, what a great job you're doing, you know. Um, you got you to gotta show that you're still invested in it and care about it and appreciate the effort that everybody's making. So I, I found yeah. that in an ensemble, there's always going to, no matter how great they are, there's always going to be w- one that just over the course, just like, like water eroding into the Grand Canyon <laughs> over the course of time. Uh-huh. Yeah, that performance will become unfucking recognizable. There, there is a tendency, especially because War of the Roses is predominantly a comedy. But in comedies and musicals, there's a tendency to go, "Well, if you liked that, you'll love this." <laughs> and um, so, God damn it, I'm so bummed you're not directing me. You're so smart. You oh, so you, fuck. This is heartbreaking because you so get it. <laughs> well, you know, having having been on the actor side of it for so long, and and learning to appreciate great direction and and what what that can be and i i gotta say the the guy that i give it up to all the time is joe mantello is he as Um, good as everybody says absolutely what makes him so great uh joe's pretty much the whole package so he he can talk to a writer he understands dramaturgy and Mm -hmm. and 
construction. Um, he's got a great bullshit meter and he's got a great schmaltz meter. So he doesn't let performances get schmaltzy. Um, because he's an actor, he speaks actor, he speaks performance, and he can do it in a really perfunctory way or he can do it in a very inspirational way. Um, and he speaks design. And, and, you know, Joe's idea of how to accomplish the house in the stage version of Love, Valor, Compassion by making it a doll's house was brilliant because they were thinking they have to build this extraordinary, you know, lake cottage and and they didn't have the money for it. And so his understanding of the stage and what is possible and he's just, he's just, he just gets it. Most directors I find have an area where they're really good and an area where they're not so good. Like if you ask me about lighting, I go, I don't know, make it pretty. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand lighting. I can talk about mood. I can talk about tone. I can say it's a little dark over there or, you know, or I want to highlight this. I want to make sure the eye is going somewhere. But I, technically, I don't know a damn thing about it. So the guys that, that just have all around knowledge and can speak to it in informed ways are pretty extraordinary. But especially for actors, there is such a thing as an actor's director it's the it's the person who can say to you look here's the event here's what we're trying to build and you know how can i help you um do, do you need what what do you need can we do it with tone can we do it with a prop can we do it with your costume do do we need to do some sensory work do we need to do you know mm-hmm. how do we get you there so that you reliably own this moment and the people that have those skills are pretty extraordinary because at the end of the day, it's about the script and the cast. It's the words and who's saying them. So I remember when I first realized that actors had microphones. Yeah. And then I remember also teleprompters have been creeping in. Have you noticed this? I haven't seen prompters. I do know about the vocal feed into an earpiece where somebody's offstage feeding you your lines. And that's usually for older actors that are having memory issues. And that's, that's, I, I, I get, but I, there was one show and I can't, if I knew the name, I wouldn't say it. The yeah. good news is I don't remember what the name was, where they had prompters built into the set. Like the, oh, like in the kitchen, like when she would, would somebody would be washing dishes, looking at, but there, there's a prompt, there's a screen there. Yeah. And then there were screens oh, in the wings nice. and there were screens in the, and I'm, so you, listen, you, you have, you're much more in this world than I am. It's not, it's not becoming a real thing, right? No, no. No. Oh, In fact, the, the quickest way to, you know, lose a career as a stage performer yeah. is to unfortunately have memory issues. Oh, yeah, um, yeah you it, can't do it. It's the very rare exception where somebody is so extraordinary. I remember when I saw um, Angela Lansbury just a few years ago in Blythe Spirit. Wow. We heard through the grapevine she had a an earpiece, but honestly, it was just a backup. She knew that part. She knew it. It was just, you know, could she maybe go up on a line where if somebody just went, it's, you know, forgive me, Cecily. Oh, yeah, you know, and she'd be in. But mm-hmm. um, but I, I've also heard of actors that, you know, I won't name names, where they have to be fed every line. But their ability to hear it and do it uh, is so good that you, you kind of put up with it. But most of us, the minute we can't hold some lines, it's, oh, that's a shame. And off we go. Why is it then I can still do all that stuff? I mean, I'm not that old yet, but um, but I can't remember. Like I can, when I get really tired, I can I can look at a fork on a table and go, "Honey, pass me the 
Pass me the, uh, the the word retrieval. And it's yeah. and mm-hmm. it literally I'm looking at a fucking fork. Yeah. And yet I could do a one man show. God, well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I believe it. And this is what I teach as well. So when we're when we're performing, they're not just words. They they have focus, they have an emotional attachment, and ideally they have a physical action behind it. And again, your body does the action. You go, well, if I'm doing this action, these must be the words. Yes. As opposed to if I'm sitting at the table and I'm just going, uh, hey, I need the, um, um, uh, uh, it's just words. <laughs> they, have, they have nothing. Yeah. And it's, I, I, for me, it's, it's like if I was trying to think of you and, and for some reason I'm going, we're going to get uh, uh, the, oh, and I'm looking right at you in yeah. my head and I'm going, him. Yeah. It, uh, the movies and the thing. And, the, yeah. and it would take me, you know, three minutes to go, ah, Rob Lowe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I get mad at myself. Is that, why, is that why then also during a long run where, where the, the, you have the blocking, you've been doing the blocking forever. If you yeah. have the instinct, because I had it all the time to change it up. Like I, for the life of me, am going to make that same fucking cross on that same line, no matter what I want to do. That's what you're talking about, right? Is that why I couldn't do it? I very possibly, but I remember, and here's what's fun. And here's what I'm sure you do. And you, and you either know you're doing it or you're doing it without being conscious of it. But I was working with a younger actress in New York uh, on my last theater piece and she said, isn't this awful? We've only been in, we've only been performing about four weeks, but I feel like I'm just getting stale. Like I'm just doing it by rote and I don't know what to do to get out of that feeling. And I looked at her and I said, make me do one thing that I haven't done in the scene before. Even if it's just a smile or a pause. Do, make me do something different Love and that. watch what happens. And, and she did. And, and she went, oh, that was so much fun. That was fun. I said, yeah, that's really, that was a play, um, not the actress I'm talking about, but there was a, uh, the star of that show was Sherry Renee Scott, who I adore. And Sherry had this really unknowable part, very mercurial, kind of all over the place emotionally and, and the actions that the character has to do. And I would say to her, I got you back. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you go where you want. I will follow you. And that was our ritual. And that was the great fun of that show was she was so available and so imaginative on stage. And we had such a nice rapport that we really could do that. And she would, she would try something every night, a little different. And I go, oh, that's great. That's fun. Let's do that. And so so I, I, was a, I worked with Christopher Walken on, mm-hmm. uh, and he's like that. He, he, on stage, he just does whatever the hell comes into his, he, it doesn't matter if he's doing Anton Chekhov. Right. <laughs> if it comes at which we were doing, he he would he would say whatever the hell he. I mean, it wasn't that he would change. He wouldn't change the dialogue, but he you know he famously takes the punctuation out. Yeah. So, I think Chekhov had a pretty specific idea of where the sentences where ended. the commas yeah. and the periods. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not with yeah Chris Walken. No, the other guy. I remember seeing the final Broadway performance of Pillow Man. That um, uh, Jeff Goldblum was in. Oh yeah, and, Jel- and Jelko Ivanic, and they played partners. And I, I didn't know Jeff, but I knew Jelko, and I saw him after the show, and I went, "Oh, it's great! Oh my god!" I said, "Man, I, I don't know what Goldblum's doing, but it, it, you guys look like you don't know what he's going to do next." And Jelko went, "We don't know what he's going to do next." <laughs> 
yeah. which was very exciting. From yeah. the audience side, very exciting. It's amazing when people are like, Malkovich was like that when I saw him. I saw the early, when he was in Burn This back, Burn in, this, the, back yeah. in the day. Sure. Every once in a while, you'll see something like that and you go, oh, this is, this is a whole other. Yeah. It's that dangerous ability to, to fly without a net. You know, the rehearsals are blueprints and everybody kind of goes, okay, you know, we're, we're, this, this is what we're building. We're going to build this every time. And then you get somebody that goes, yeah, well, what if we put this room over here? Still a house, right? And everybody has to go, okay. And, and it's thrilling as long as you've got an ensemble that can handle it. The minute you get somebody that goes, I don't know what you're doing. I, uh, that's not what we prepared. Then you have upended it. But when you've got, and, and Burn This had that great ensemble, you know, so that wherever Malkovich's imagination went, they could follow him. Thrilling. Amazing. Well, this is great. Uh, thank you for coming on. This has been so much fun. I mean, well, first of all, you look so good. I, I, do people see you when they listen or watch this? No, thing? They, they don't really. They sh- Can I just say, ladies and gentlemen, this man is sitting in, in a black, sort of black, dark blue, black <laughs> studio, beautifully lit. He is, he's, he's the, the, the top lighting is this night blue and he's got this little lavender pink glow from the front lights and it's his his arms are ripply and the hair is perfect he's everything we've come to expect from rob Lowe and more <laughs> i see so, you know i think I, lo- I look like i'm in a bat mitzvah limousine with the blue track lighting and and every jew dreams that they look like you in a bat mitzvah limousine <laughs> oh mr mister thank you so much see ya jason how fun was that i love him um, I, I'm not a big fan of acting coaches per se. They do a lot of good for a lot of people. I, I just never really found and my performances speak for themselves. have never found, uh, one, one necessarily that could help, but he would be a great acting coach. I mean, if you're an actor out there, there was a lot of good nuggets, um, coming out of Mr. Alexander's mouth there. Um, and one of the great guys. And I thank him for being here. All right. It is time for the Lowdown Line. Hello, you've reached literally in our Lowdown Line, where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hey, Rob. This is Dominic from Orlando. Um, Love the podcast. Listen to it every week. Uh, so I'm watching The Grinder, which I feel like is uh, one of your underrated shows, kind of flew under there, uh, and it's really good. Do you personally have any any moments or any movie shows that you act and be like, damn, that was pretty good, but really flew under the radar, and you feel it's underrated? Hey, buddy. Again, thanks for the podcast. Hope all's well. Bye. Hey, Dominic, thank you for calling out the grinder because I love the grinder. I, 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 it's, it's prop and listen, I love Parks and Rec and, you know, I've been fortunate to be in some other stuff like Wayne's World and Tommy Boy and some, some comedies that people love a lot. And I'm, I was happy to be in them. I got to tell you, if I could show one thing of mine, that's a comedy, it would be the grinder. So hopefully more people can seek it out. And, um, it had a very short life because it was so weird and and funny and 
it's it's a miracle that network that it was on network television. A miracle. I didn't think they would put it on. It was soon insane. So instead of feeling bummed that it only ran one year, I actually kind of feel lucky that it ran at all. Um, if it had been on a streamer, it would still be on. But it was just before streamers really became a thing. So anyway, um, I'm glad that you like the grinder. Um, and, and, you know, that's – I ha- you pick the one, man. You pick the – that's the one. That's the one that got away. That is truly the one where I was like, uh, I can't – I. it made me actually go from the grinder into um, drama. I went back into dramas again because I was like, I can't do a better comedy. And it didn't work on network television. And if uh, I, I, I can't do any better, so I better do something different. So um, that's what led me to the 911 Lone Star. Um, but um, yeah, and that's the way it goes. You just never know. I just had a guest on the show that said, um, just because something's popular doesn't mean it's good. And it's really, really true. And the grinder was not necessarily popular, but it was good. Thanks for, thanks for calling in. Um, I will see you all next week. Thank you for listening. Um, more fun to come. You have been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe. Produced and engineered by me, Devin Tory Bryant. Executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile. Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Stitcher. The supervising producer is Aaron Blair. Talent producer, Jennifer Samples. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.